Welcome this morning. Happy New Year to you. Hope you're having a good one so far. Uh, thanks for being here today to worship the Lord. Um, what a blessing it is, and, and I'm thankful for our, our worship team to, to lead us in worship, and what a, what a blessing they are to each one of us. Um, this morning, uh, I want to start a new uh, series, new year, new series, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10. And so uh, if you have your scripture and want to open up to Matthew chapter 10, and actually in this series, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10 for a little while, okay, so like for several weeks. So uh, what I would encourage you to do is read Matthew chapter 10 uh, every week, okay? Um, What's going to happen is pretty soon you'll start internalizing it. Okay, and so if you become very familiar with it, you're going to enjoy uh, the the subsequent weeks of of this passage. But Matthew chapter 10 um, is a fascinating and it's a a very important passage. And um, I I love this because uh, of the six teaching sermons that Jesus our Savior gave in Matthew, uh, this is one of the longest. it contains uh, lots of things. It touches on several things that can be instructive for us uh, as growing disciples. Okay, as disciples who are growing in Christ, we want to know and 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 learn from Him, and, and and it also gives us some excellent examples to follow. So I think we can glean quite a bit from it. You know, He gives it, of course, directly to His disciples, and. Um, he charges them to go out. He's sending them out. And um, I just want to, let's hear it then. Uh, at the beginning of a new year, the Word of God in Matthew chapter 10. I just want to read four verses here. Uh, verses 1 through 4 of chapter 10, Matthew. It says this. It says, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for this. It is your word for your people. It is meant for our spiritual nourishment is also your word for the nations. Oh God, draw us to Christ through this message. Build us up in him by it. Give us spiritual hearing that we may hear the word and apply it to our hearts by the work of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, as we look at this passage and we we pull this from the context here, uh, you know, the Lord Jesus had already called these disciples to be with him. 
He called them to be with him and they they spent a lot of time with him. Luke tells us that in his gospel account. And understand that when Jesus calls us to be with him and he calls these disciples to be with him, there is a big difference in being around someone and being with them. You can be around someone day by day and still not be with them. And what I mean is with them in heart and soul and mind. Being with them. And you see, Jesus called his disciples so that they would be with him. And that's huge. When we think about being with him. These men had been with him for some time. He had called them to be with him, to follow him, to learn from him. In short, to be his disciples. And now he sends them out as ambassadors, as as messengers, his own representatives. And in this brief passage, I want you to notice a few things that we can benefit from as we learn together here. The first thing I direct your attention to is that Jesus made his disciples apostles. Jesus made his disciples apostles. If you look at this verse, in verse 1 it says, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples. And then in verse 2 it says, now the names of the 12 apostles are. Jesus didn't go and get other disciples from someone else in order to send them out to carry his message to be an ambassador for him. He took his disciples and made them apostles. He took his disciples and sent them out. This is key. See, it was those who had been followers, close associates, acquaintances, Men who had been with Jesus and he sent them out to represent himself to the nation of Israel. He sent them out. These ambassadors were, uh, of Christ were first followers of Christ. They were ones who, who walked with him. They were friends of Christ before they were sent out to witness for him. There's something that happens before he sends us out. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and it says there that he gave them authority. I mean, Jesus doesn't send newbies out to the task of ministry. He sends those that have been with him. He doesn't send out folks who are unprepared, who are unequipped or unfamiliar with his presence or with his life. He sends out some men who had been spending day and night with him for months in his presence, learning from his teaching. He he would sit them down and and, and teach them. And this is a teachable moment here. He is sitting them down and, and speaking with them. These people that he sends out into the mission field had been with him For some time. They weren't new to the the faith. They'd been walking with him. These twelve had been with Jesus since before he preached the Sermon on the Mount. They knew Jesus. They had intimate access to him. They had fellowship with him. They communed with him. They ate with him. They stayed with him. They, They were there to ask questions and to watch how he lived his life. These were his disciples. These were the people that were really close to him. And these were the workers that the Lord would send into the fields that were ripe unto harvest. 
See, it was a time of training. It was a time of testing. It was a time to see how they would do under pressure of ministry. A time to prepare them for the ministry that they would have that the Lord would give them. It's kind of like, you know, they, they, <laughs> you practice, you practice, you practice, you put them in the game, you see how they do. They make some mistakes, you pull them out, you coach them up, you put them back in the game. What he's doing is he's coaching up his disciples here. He's helping them understand what the kingdom mission is and where they're going to carry it to. But listen, our Lord Jesus, he never sends anyone into the field of ministry that he has not first equipped and prepared for that ministry. He doesn't send anyone into the field that he is not already prepared for that ministry. See, it's one of the great tragedies of the church today that too many are sent into the fields of ministry with little to no preparation, either tangible or experiential. We send them out there and we wonder why it's not a good fit. We wonder why things happen. We wonder why so many pastors are leaving the ministry Maybe they've not been tested in that. Maybe they've not had the opportunity to be a part of that ministry and do something with that ministry. See, the Lord prepares His disciples in two ways. By taking them to be with Him so they can observe and watch and be with Him, but also by teaching them. And you know, it, when, I, when, I, when I read this and I see this, He summoned the twelve to be with them and then He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. <laughs> See, these were the folks who had been with him. They had heard Jesus' teaching. They had also heard his public teachings. They, he, they, they were there with him on the side of the hill when he fed the 5,000. When he was doing these kinds of things, he taught them they had private opportunity to, to, to ask questions after something happened. And he would give them and share that information with them. Here's the truth that we need to hone in on. Before we can be a teacher, before we can be a teacher, we must first sit at the feet of the Master. Before we can be a teacher, we have to sit at the feet of the Master. I mean, before we can be a teacher, we must first be a learner. Oh, I know it all, Ridge. Just ask me, I'll tell you. See, that's what we see is that his disciples were learners. And I think this is important because these men had learned at the feet of Jesus. But more critical than the teaching was the very presence that they had with Christ. They had fellowship with Christ. <laughs> so much so. You know, it, it's, it's interesting. Matthew Henry, he says, The best preparation for the work of the ministry is acquaintance and communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, later in the Gospel of John... People would say about these men, they perceived that these men had been with Jesus. I mean, what greater compliment could there be for someone who is ministering to others than for someone to say about that person, I can tell they have spent time 
with Jesus. All right, it's about to get real here. If you go back, uh, just in chapter 9 there, one or two verses, what you have in, in verse 35 is Jesus is going through these villages and cities, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every kind of disease, every kind of sickness. And then he said to his disciples, verse 37, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. You remember Jesus saying that? Beseech the Lord of the harvest. You know what he's saying? He's saying, okay, disciples, I want you to pray that the Lord will raise up ministers who will go out in the field of labor and reap this harvest for the Lord. I want you to pray that God would raise up ministers. These very men that Jesus had told to pray, he was now sending them out into the labor, into the fields. So be careful what you pray for when you pray that the Lord would raise up missionaries because he might just do it and he might just choose you. He told the disciples, you guys pray for the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into the harvest. And he turns around and he summoned his twelve and he gave them authority and he sent them out into the harvest. He instructs them. I mean, there's a ton we can glean from this. But we have to learn this. That if we are to serve Christ well, in whatever capacity, in whatever vocation, in whatever profession or career the Lord has put us in, if we are to serve Christ well, we must know Him and be known by Him. We have to have that relationship with Jesus Christ. We must be His disciples. We must fellowship with the Lord. Now, I'm sure we've all met people that we could say, you know, man, you could just tell they've been with Jesus. Oh, man, every time I get around them, I just feel like, like Jesus is all over them. We need to be that kind of people because we need to be spending time with Jesus so that we can be that kind of people. You know, if we are to be with Christ, to fellowship with him, that is in part going to mean studying God's word. If we're going to fellowship with Christ, we've got to study his words. We've got to learn what he says, being in his word, memorizing his word, meditating on his word, reflecting on his word. If we want to have fellowship with Christ, we need to know him better. I mean, how do we get to know people better? Spending time with them. Fellowshipping with them. Hanging out. Eating together. Sharing a meal. That's how we get to know people. That's how we get to know Jesus. Spending time with him. And brothers and sisters, that is the mark of a disciple. A disciple spends time with the master. Another way that we grow close to the Lord is through faith in him. Think about this. 
I mean, we, we think of being justified by faith. It is, it is by faith and, and not by works. And what a glorious truth that is. But do you know that faith is a very important part of our sanctification process, that, that cleansing process, if you will, but also the discipleship part of that. When, when you think of faith, learning to trust Jesus Christ in difficult situations is one of the ways that he grows us. Trusting him in difficult situations. I mean, it's one of the ways he grew his disciples. You remember when he provided food on the hillside for 5,000 people? <laughs> he said, what do we got to serve them? And, and I mean, uh, you know, the disciples, they came up pretty well empty. I mean, they had a, a, a few loaves and a couple of fish that they borrowed from a little boy. But you think about it, it's like they were probably petrified that they weren't going to have what they needed. And it was out of fear, I'm sure. They brought this lunch and they're like, I don't know, Lord, this is all we got. He took care of it. In that they learned to trust him. That he can do the supernatural. That he can do things that we can't do. And I love this because, you know, they saw him out in the boat. They were terrified. And, and the storm came up. And he, they saw him calm the storm. They trusted him. I mean, they saw him even raising Lazarus from the dead. <laughs> or even when he's talking about his own crucifixion, dying on the cross. And they're trusting him in that. See, he taught them to exercise faith in him when circumstances looked threatening or difficult. And he causes us to grow in the same way as his disciples. Amen. We don't like the difficulty. We don't like the threatening. We don't like those situations in life that come up that cause us to question. But he says, trust me in this. Trust me in this. I love that. He tells us to trust him in every circumstance. No matter how dark, how improbable. We also grow in fellowship with him in prayer. I mean, that's how we talk. That's how we talk together. It's through prayer. It's a relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Through his word, through trusting him, through prayer, we commune with him. Meditating on him and on his word. And that's how we grow in him and abide in him. Through the difficulties and the hardships of this life. We trust him. We abide in him. See, being a disciple means being with Jesus. And we cannot witness as disciples until we've been with him. See, being a disciple may mean leaving your current vocation, your current profession, your, your current job. Being his disciple may mean leaving that. I mean, the, Peter, James, and John, they all left their fishing nets to follow him. That was their job. That's what they did. That's how they earned their gainful employment was through fishing. The Lord may call you to be his disciple, and it may mean leaving the, the profession or the career, the calling that you're in right now, and following him. I know. That's why I stand before you today. He called me away from what I was doing to do this. 
Or it may mean staying right where you're at. And maybe having a new emphasis and new direction in your work. Or it may mean taking some unpopular course. Some type of stand. It may mean giving yourself to some area of service. But whatever the case, being a disciple means being with the master. There's a second thing we need to look at in this passage. It's also in verse 1. We see that Jesus entrusts his apostles with his own authority. He entrusts his apostles with his own authority. He gave them authority. Now, Jesus does not intend for these apostles to do their ministry in their own strength. He wants to give them the strength to do that. He intends for them to be entirely dependent upon him. And his power. See, Jesus gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. The same thing he was doing, going village to village, city to city, preaching in the synagogues, doing these works, these miracles of healing people and casting out demons, he empowers his disciples to do the same thing. He gives them the authority. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. See, the Lord gifts them. He endows them with this power. With spiritual power for these great works. And this reminds us that all Christian ministry, all true Christian ministry is done By the power of Jesus Christ. He gave them his own power over the forces of evil, over the forces of sickness. I mean, what kind of man can do this extraordinary stuff and then is able to give this kind of power to others? (laughs) Our Lord Jesus is able. He is the one who is able. He transfers that power to his representatives and tells them to go out and minister in that power. And it was so vital that he, that he give them that authority and power. It was very vital to their situation. And you, you wonder about that. And there's a myriad of reasons why. But I want to I give you three reasons very quickly that come to mind of why Jesus needed to give them this power. First of all, I would say these Disciples were called to be a witness to a message that was going to be very hard for Israel to accept. Think about it. They had the law. They had the prophets. Israel had religious teachers who were telling them about the law and the prophets. And Jesus gave them his power in order that they might do signs, miracles... To show that they are not people who have self-appointed themselves into that. But rather they were people who were filled with divine power. Because they were doing God's works, his miracles. Attesting to the word of Jesus Christ in their ministry. See, This is huge. He gives them this opportunity. He empowers them. He gives them authority. So that as they go... They are walking in his authority, doing his work, his way. 
Another reason is they, these guys lacked earthly credentials. <laughs> I mean, over and over in the Gospels, we see the official religious teachers of Israel accusing them of being ignorant and unlearned men. They lacked earthly credentials. And so their very demonstration of the authority of Christ was a display that they did not go out in their own credentials, but they went out in the power of the Lord Jesus. Because what he was doing, they were doing. Nobody else was doing those things. It was Jesus doing those things, and his disciples, his apostles, were doing those things. So it gave them credibility in that area. And the third reason they needed power from the Lord was because the establishment of God's kingdom always entails the destruction of Satan's kingdom. When God's power comes into reign, Satan's power has to diminish and go away. No man can serve two masters. You see, when the kingdom of God is built up, the kingdom of Satan must be torn down. In their working of miracles, in the casting out of demons, and in the healing of sicknesses, these men demonstrated that the kingdom of God has come with power. And that the kingdom of Satan and the results of the fall are going to be defeated and reversed. And so their power given to them by Christ is leveled against Satan himself. And in these ways we see why Christ gave them power and authority. See there's a lesson for us in this too because all true Christian ministry is not done by our power, but beyond our power. See, as we are going to do ministry, we must do it in dependence on the Lord, in complete dependence. Our best strategizing, our best, brightest minds, our best plans will not bring success in and of themselves. Folks, we have to be prayerfully dependent on Jesus as we minister to other people. Because his grace accomplishes its goal. His gospel is the power of God for salvation. It's not our design. We didn't come up with this. It's not our particular strategies. You know, isn't it ironic that it is precisely when we are most aware of our own limitations that we are most useful to the Lord? In our weakness, he is strong. Here's my last point. Jesus made his disciples apostles. He made his disciples apostles. These disciples who had followed him, uh, he sent out into the world as messengers. He made disciples to be apostles. And the word simply means a representative that is sent out. I want to say an ambassador. Just like an ambassador to the United States, has the, has the power of the state behind him or her when they go out into the world and to negotiate and do things with other countries. They represent this country. They represent all of the people that live in this country. <laughs> they represent whoever's in charge of this country. You see, Jesus is sending these ambassadors out he sends them out on an evangelistic tour. And to be an apostle is simply to be a representative, a herald, a messenger 
And the word apostles is not used here in its fuller, later sense. I mean, think about this. The Lord has not yet commissioned these men to go into all the world. He's sending them into their own backyard. He's sending them into their own city. He's sending them into their own nation. The lost sheep of Israel. He commissions them first to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They're to go to the villages and towns around Galilee and into Judea and minister the word of Christ to the people of God of the old covenant to bring the message of salvation to the Jewish people. And then a foundation will be built for those who are of the remnant who believe in the Lord Jesus and only at the time of the Pentecost and after the ascension of Christ will these men be commissioned to go out into all the world. See, he sends them out in their own area. And I want to say this, if you're not a missionary here for Christ, you won't be a missionary out there for Christ. It all starts here. If we're a witness here in temple, if we're a witness here to our neighbors, we will be a witness wherever we go. But if we're not a witness here, it doesn't matter where we're at. We won't be a witness there. We've got to be a witness here. Of course, there's a foreshadowing here that, you know, all but one of these men will be the one that Jesus commissions as his apostles that the foundation of the church will be built upon. These men are sent out two by two according to Mark 6, 7, indicating ministry in God's kingdom is not done by lone rangers, but together in mutual support. I think it's no accident that these names are listed in pairs. Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. Semicolon. And James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, semicolon. Philip and Bartholomew, semicolon. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, semicolon. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, semicolon. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot. You know, it's interesting. And I love this because as we think about this, we are reminded that our world... Our world needs to hear the message that only the church can give. The gospel of Jesus Christ is truth. The gospel of Jesus Christ is necessary. So it must be taken to the world, and it's our responsibility to do that individually and corporately. It's not just our responsibility just to, to give money towards the cause of spreading the gospel, although that's good. It's not just our responsibility to pray for the spreading of, gospel, of the gospel in our city and state and nation. But we have to take something individually and do something about it individually. I mean, it might be having a cup of coffee with a neighbor who's having some marital trouble. Ministering the comforting and strengthening words of Jesus Christ to them. Or maybe it's standing firm in the context of your work. And witnessing to the truth and integrity that the gospel brings. Or it might be talking to a friend whose life has fallen apart. Who's grasping for the meaning 
and sharing with them the truth of the gospel and the way to salvation. But all of us, every one of us is called to be a witness for Jesus Christ. If you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to hear this. The gospel is more than spirituality. Jesus wants us to make an impact on our world. It's more than just spirituality. He cares about our hurts and he knows about our dreams. You know, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, I know it's a big name. He was a... um, a famous Russian author who defected to America during the Cold War. And in his book, The First Circle, he makes an interesting observation about how the, Roman author- excuse me, the Russian authorities uh, handled the church behind the Iron Curtain. And he writes this, he says, No one stops them from ringing their bells. You know, in the bell tower, the bells, they would ring the bells. No one stops them from ringing the bells. They can break communion bread any way they please. They can have their processions with the cross. But they will in no way allow them to have any connection with social or civil affairs. In other words, the church was allowed to go through the motions. Oh, do your rituals. Do the things that you want to do. It could have a presence, but it dare not have any influence on society. You know, what bothered the religious leaders was not that Jesus prayed or that he preached. It was the fact that his prayers and his sermons were moving people to action. That's what really got them. They were moving people to action. You see, we've been given a brand new year. We've been given a brand new year, a clean slate, something brand new. And I'm praying for each one of you. May 2022 be a year of being. A year of abiding in the Master. A year of being with him, hearing his voice, and making an impact. Do not waste. Do not waste the time, the opportunity that Jesus has given to us. I mean, greater things will be done for his kingdom in 2022. And so it begins with sitting and being at the feet of the master. Spending time with him. Communing with him. Getting familiar with his voice. And following him. Out into the harvest. Amen. Would you pray with me? Loving Father... We thank you for the richness of your word. We ask that you would bless us spiritually. That you would nourish us. 
Father, that we would feed on your word. Father, that we would know Jesus in an intimate way. Father, that we would know him and that we would be in lockstep with him, that we would follow him wherever he leads. Father, I pray that you would equip us to do the ministry that you set before us. Father, that we would be the disciples that you call us to be. Not only that, Father, but that we would be sent out as apostles. Father, sent out as representatives of Jesus. Father, I pray that you would stir within us a desire to to witness to, to who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us. Father, the reality is, is that most of us don't share what we have with others. We don't share our possessions. We don't share our time. And we don't share our Jesus. Father, my prayer is that you would help us to slow down to get off of our cell phones, to get off of social media, and that we would spend that time with you, getting to know our master. The pupil studies and learns and becomes like his master. So Father, I pray that we would be more like the master. Father, I ask in this time of response, Father, that you would move us where we need to be. Father, that if, if, if that's becoming a part of this fellowship, if that's following you in baptism, if that is dedicating this, this time to you, if it is just kneeling before you and spending some time in your presence. Father, I can't think of a better thing to do today than to spend time with you. So guide us in this. I pray, Father, that you would be glorified in all of it. As we continue, Father, to worship you, I pray that you would draw sinners to yourself. Father, that we would confess that. And Father, that we would be born new into your kingdom. Thank you, Father, for all that you've done for us. And guide us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.